0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Here at Velocity, we love listening about how lives are changed through our church. So if that's you, please contact us at amen at findvelocity.org. Enjoy today's message. How many of you can be honest that you have been living on leftovers since Thursday? That's definitely me. Now, how many of you are my people? My wife doesn't agree with this, but how many of you are my people that you actually kind of prefer the leftovers to the real thing. Yes, that's my people. Thank you so much for coming to church today. We can hang out later. So, if you ever want to enlarge your faith or see a miracle, all you have to do is come over to, to my house for Thanksgiving because what you'll see is it's almost a bread and fish miracle, what my mom does on Thanksgiving. I mean, she has a, a turkey. And then I think she had another turkey for some reason. We only had like eight people, but she wanted to make sure we had enough. We had green bean casserole, which is my favorite. And we had Parker rolls. And some of you who didn't have breakfast are like, why is he talking about this? I want my leftovers now. But in it, and then we had sweet potatoes. It was just a feast. And if you would have just shown up on Thanksgiving, you would have thought, wow, how, how did this all happen right here? But that, the, my mom has supernatural endurance. What I mean by that is the weeks, uh, what I thought happened in one day, she was preparing a week in advance. She was starting to plan. She was like scavenging for ingredients. She was starting to mix stuff together. And it was, it was a, an insane amount of feat for a human. But what I thought was just one day's work was really being prepared for me all along and and that's what we learned last week from our sermon that may and maybe that's a word for you this morning is that God has been fighting, God has been interceding for you. He believes in you he is for you and if you just circle back to where you were at, you can see all the blessings and how faithful our God is, and God is. And I want to uh, encourage you to check out our podcast, check out our YouTube of what Pastor spoke last week about circling back to see how God is working all things together for our good. And and my mom worked so hard and gave so much, but and even a horde of people had come over and eaten so much of our food, but she had leftovers on leftovers on leftovers. But that, that's, the, that's the lens and that's the, the thing that I, I was thinking about. Isn't that the legacy that we want to have as, on this earth? Isn't that how we want to be remembered for as a church is that we worked so hard, we prepared so much, we gave so much that we were no, help, known for helping people find hope, that we were known for feeding the hungry, strengthening the weak. We didn't sit idly by. We stepped out and helped the widows and orphans. We were a voice for the voiceless, and we still had some left over. That's the kind of life that I want to lead, and that's the kind of life I want to look at through the lens of in our story today, through the lens of Jesus' faith. So I think so often as Christians we say that, yeah, yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but what, if, what would it look like in your life? What would it look like in our church if we started to have faith like Jesus I want to look through that lens today if we had faith like Jesus. So here's my sermon in a sentence, so you can leave after this sentence unless you want to hear the rest. But it's when we change our perspective and participation, we can go above and beyond to make a difference and still have leftovers. So let's go back and look at what Jesus did at the beginning of our story And in verse three, it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted his eyes. And so, the first two things that I noticed that Jesus did was that he chose to get a higher vantage point, and he chose to lift his eyes. So, and something that I want to clarify is Jesus didn't need to, need to lift his faith. His faith, he already knew what was going to happen. He was modeling this for us. He was modeling it for his leaders, his disciples, so he, they knew what to do. So after he modeled lifting his faith, he took inventory of what they did have. He asked the disciples, knowing full well, what, they, what he was going to do. He wanted to see where their faith was. The best-named disciple said this, I'll show you. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So as I was preparing for today's sermon, I came across a story of a man named Victor Frankl. And some of you might know him. Some of you might have heard of him before, but he had circumstances that on paper— would definitely not be enough to make a difference in this world. But still, he, he made a difference, even though his circumstances might not have measured up. Frankl grew up in Austria in the mid or the early 20th century, and he studied medicine, and he was a neurologist, he was a psychiatrist, and he, he specialized in depression, in treating depression uh, before the Second World War. But in 1944, he was uh, taken with his wife, and he was sent to several uh, concentration camps. And then at the end of the war, he was liberated. But the, the thing that caught my eye about his story and the, his findings and his research is the research that he actually had when he was in the concentration camp. And in my mind, I think that the research would have happened outside of the, the worst possible situations he could have been in. But the, the most revelation that he had, the, the best insight that he gained was in the concentration camp. So the premise of Frankel's revelation that there is that th- there's a difference between the, the liberties in our life and then there's a difference between the freedoms in our life. So there's two different things in our life, the liberties that we have and then the freedom that we have. And I want to unpack that a little bit. What is a liberty? What did he, how do you define it? He, he uh, defined it as the circumstances that we had created for ourselves or the circumstances that we have no control over that are in our life. And so like Frankel's circumstances, there are some circumstances in our life that are out of, control, out of our control. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't control what our grandparents did. We, we can't control what other people think about us or what other people act on us. We can't really control how we were raised. So that's our liberties, the things that we can't really control in our life and the the freedom is the flip side of it. The freedom, what he called it, or what he believed is freedom is the one thing that we actually can control. It's the thing that we choose and the thing that can never be taken away from us. And And will defined freedom like this. We're going to put it up on the screen, I think. It says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So here was a man that had everything stripped away from him. He was seeing unimaginable things. He had little to no liberties, but he claimed to have more freedom as a captive than the people that were keeping him captive. Couldn't say that right. I'm going to try it again. So he, he claimed to have more freedom as a captive than any of his captors, which is such an interesting thing to me. And so Jesus was modeling this in our passage of Scripture today. He was choosing to go to a higher vantage point. He was modeling to choose to lift our eyes in faith. And that's exactly what he did. He asked what they did have and could control, not what they didn't have and couldn't control. And so the Apostle Paul, later in the Bible, he talks about this in his letter to Rome. In 12.2 it says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you act. No, no, no. Let's change the way we think to result in our actions. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, one of the most powerful things that we have as people in Christ is that we have an almighty God. We have the Holy Spirit at work inside of us that is is working, working to change how we think, to think more like God, to think more like Jesus. That's one of the most powerful choices that our God gives us. And we have to change our mindset from letting the things around us control us letting the things that we can't control control us rather we're going to change the way we think we're going to control the way we think about the things that are around us and that's what i want to look at today is, is this is my first point with with that is that you have all the ingredients that you need so the first point today is you, you have all the ingredients that you, that you need. So what is, the, what is this choice you're talking about, this choice of freedom? So there's a space between when something happens to you and then when you react. There's a space in the middle where we have the opportunity to choose how we're going to look at it, choose our response. And that's the most powerful thing Victor Frankl was talking about, that powerful freedom. But Jesus was trying to teach the disciples that they don't have to be limited by what they see around them or their circumstances. But maybe you're like me, like I talked about in the beginning. Maybe you're like me, that you're a, that, that realist, that practicality mindset. That's how you look at things through your lens. But we, we don't have enough food to feed this many people. We don't have enough money to give. We don't have enough degrees or training to lead. We don't have enough time for everything in our life. But Jesus was trying to tell the disciples that they have all the ingredients they need for a breakthrough. They had everything they needed to make the miracle happen. But something going back to what Paul said, something that stuck out to me with what Paul wrote to the church in Rome was that we can't change the world that we're conforming to. So the very beginning of what Paul said in that letter to the church in Rome is "We do not conform to the patterns of this world. But the thing is, we can't change the world that we're conforming to. Another way to say it is, if you, want to make a different, or if you want to make a change in the world, you have to be different than the world that you're trying to change. So it says at the beginning of the verse in Romans to not copy the behavior and customs, but what are the world's customs? These are some of the things that, that I see in my everyday life is, is the, world, the world looks at what we don't have, right? Social media for somebody. It looks at what you're missing out on, FOMO, or the fear of missing out. The, the, the world tries to tell you that you are a victim, that you're only as good as the circumstances around you. But Jesus was teaching them, and I love that we sang this song today, Jesus was teaching them that they aren't victims, but they are victors. Jesus said later, but take heart. He said this later in, chapter, in John, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you're in Christ, you already have the victory. And that's exactly the mindset that, that, that Christ is trying to model here is we're we're, we're coming, we're choosing to come from a, a place of victory, not a place of being a victim. So Jesus was teaching they aren't victims, but they're victors, and we have to start by changing our mindset. But that's not where Jesus stopped with what he modeled with how, how we should think about things and think about the, the world around us. But he changed our mindset from letting us know that things that are around us are controlling us to controlling how we think about the thing around us. But that's not where it stopped. Let's go to verse 11. It says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. So notice that it was only when Jesus had given thanks that he, he was able to give the, the bread to the disciples to feed the crowd. Now, the thing that was interesting to me, he was thankful for the very thing that wasn't enough in the eyes of the disciples. I think this is so contradictory of how, how I live my life or how the world sees things. Is, is that there are so many things that I see in my life that I complain about not being enough, that I make excuses for. But Jesus, Jesus was teaching his disciples that it's not just enough to change the response in my circumstance. We have to be thankful for the areas in our life that we were thought were not enough. Now, now, there's so much in Scripture about being thankful, but I just want to read a couple of them. And, and one of them is in James chapter 1, 2, and 3. We don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it to you. It says, Consider it pure joy. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And the one we have on the screen that we'll put up there that I love is First Thessalonians 5.18. It's like the, the perfect Thanksgiving verse. The one you see in Hobby Lobby like everywhere. It's, it, it says, be thankful in only the circumstances that you can control. No, 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 no. no. Be thankful for only the good things that happen in our life. No, it says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And so that, that's what Jesus was modeling, Is that we, and that's the mandate we have as Christians, is we have, we have this victory that's inside of us that we have to be thankful for. And so what does that look like in my life? What can I start confessing over my life? It says, I can say, Lord, I'm thankful for the times in my life where you taught me to budget on a little. Lord, I can be thankful for the times when what I had was enough to lead the people in my life. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the challenges that you put in my life because it may, it's been making me a better person. It's been making me a better husband. And, and so that's, that's the modeling, that faith like Jesus that we want to have. So we changed our mindset. We changed it. And now we're thankful for the things that weren't enough. But that's not where Jesus stopped either. He modeled that he wants us to participate. He wants us to participate in helping the people around us. So everyone knows that the worst part of Thanksgiving, and this, this is true, everyone knows that the worst part of Thanksgiving is that one relative that's the bottleneck. Am I right? It's, it's that relative that is so busy trying to argue with everybody else. Are they yams? Are they sweet potatoes? That like literally everything is bottled up right next to them. And and they, they haven't passed anything, but I want to I want to ask you this question because I want to know who's saved is is who calls them yams anybody and this is my kind of church who calls them sweet potatoes thank the Lord you have been saved by grace this is an amazing we'll see how eleven o'clock does but that I want to clear this up I want to clear this up this this is the end of the conversation this is directly from North Carolina's sweet potato website a credible source. It says this, the sweet orange-colored root vegetable that you love so dearly is actually a sweet potato. Yes, all so-called yams are in fact sweet potatoes. Most people think that long, red-skinned sweet potatoes are yams, but they're really just one of many varieties of what? Sweet potatoes. My people. So, ha! (laughs) Take that, weird Uncle John. Okay, (laughs) i got to reel this in. What I mean by all of that... Is that we spend so much time deciding what we have or what we don't have that we actually forget to pass our blessing. So what does that mean? It is is we, we spend so much time thinking about oh I don't have it, I don't have this or but I do have this or but I don't have this that we actually forget to pass our blessing. We're, as Christians, as people in Christ, we're not called to be bottleneck of our blessings. We're called to bring our blessings to the people that need it. Now, Jesus could have chosen several ways that he could have distributed the, the bread, the fish, to these people that were around. He, he could have had, just like in the wilderness, he could have had it rain down like manna. He could have, he could have had, he struck a rock and had it flow out of a rock. But he chose to do something that I think really helped me with how we're supposed to participate. And so and this is the thing that... that I've discovered is that so many of our above and beyond miracles that we see God work in our lives, there's so many above and beyond blessings in our life that God does. It's always after a participation moment. It's always after a participation moment. So let's go back to verse 11. It says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. The disciples did the same thing with the fish. And the over 5,000 people, not 5,000 people, that was only the men. So there's, there were probably some women and children there. So there were over 5,000 people that were there that ate as much as they wanted. And that brings me to my second point, is you have to pass it to multiply it. You have to pass it to multiply it. So God doesn't just want to transform the way you think to being thankful. He actually wants to help transform the way you participate in helping others and making a difference in someone else's life. Grant, could you bring up those props for just a moment? Now, now when I was helping clean up Thanksgiving, it it got me thinking about one of my biggest pet peeves. One of my biggest pet peeves is when you get to the sink and there's a dirty sponge. Can I get a good amen from somebody? That's a word for my wife. I'm just saying it out loud. But the the thing thing that uh, always gets me every time is that you have to clean you have to have you have to, ugh, you have to keep clean the thing that's doing the cleaning, right? That's the, 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 the hope, the goal of everything you clean with is you keep it clean so it, it cleans the thing, right? Because if you if you just leave water in the sponge, what happens is this mold, this bacteria starts to build up, and then when you' go to clean your kitchen the next time, you get. Your kitchen dirty, and that's 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 what I was thinking about this week. And and uh, what what do you do with it to clean your just clean your sponge? Is you just all you have to do is just squeeze it, not get it everywhere, but squeeze it and then rinse it out, right? And then you'll have a clean sponge. Basically, you just got to make sure you get all the the bad stuff out, the dirty stuff out before you put it away. But how how does this affect now, what, did this, what does this sponge have to do with our faith? Or what does this sponge have to do with our lives? It, is that God could be trying to pour something into our life, but we're already so full because we, we haven't squeezed out any of our blessing that nothing catches in, in the sponge. It just goes right through. Something new that God's trying to pour out. But when we squeeze out our blessing... When we squeeze out our knowledge, what we know about God, when we squeeze out our resource, our finance, our giving, it allows us to be open. You'll we'll see how this works. It allows us to be open for what God wants to do. He can pour in and he can squeeze in something new. He can pour in a new blessing that you didn't even know that was possible. And In Matthew nine seventeen, Jesus said this. Jesus said, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins, That's why I love that new wine song that we do. It's an amazing illustration of what God wants to do in our life. If if they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. So we got a a bacteria-ridden sponge that can't actually get anything else in it. And no, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. It means we have to squeeze out all of our blessings, all of our old blessings. We have to squeeze them out. That way we have something new that God can pour in a new resource. God can pour in a new leadership teaching. God can pour in a new opportunity. God can pour something new into your life. And that's, that's the idea. That's the, 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 the power of multiplicity. And, and this, this is what I want to tell you, that is, whatever you keep is all you have. But w- whatever you give, God multiplies. Amen. Whatever you keep is all you have. But whatever you give, God can multiply. So I, I want to see what happens at the end of this passage, at the end of this story. In verse 12, it says this. After everyone was full... Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Jesus was all about reduce, reuse, recycle. I love it. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten the five barley loaves. So the disciples had changed their perspective. They they saw a model of participating in their blessing. And now after all they did, they had more than enough leftover. So that's what it means to live on leftovers. But the thing that stuck out to me the most in this last passage was the number 12. They have 12 baskets left over. So what is the significance of the number 12? So the number 12 appears 187 times in the Bible. There are several instances with the number 12 such as the virgin Mary stay in the temple for 12 years, Jesus was 12 years old when he challenged the uh, scholars in the temple. In the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis says that Jacob had 12 sons and they became the 12 so- tribes of Israel. In the middle of the Bible and in the gospel, the New Testament tells us that Jesus had 12 disciples or 12 leaders he was going to send out into the world. At the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the kingdom of God had 12 gates with 12 angels. So that 12 is a significant number in the Bible. But why? And, and I think one of the reasons I think for me was pretty obvious. There's 12 baskets. God wanted to make sure every single one of the disciples had a basket so they could t- testify to how good their, their, their Savior was. That, that they, could, they could see things not through their eyes, but through the eyes of faith. And, and that, that is an amazing thing in itself. But I, I saw something else about the number 12 that had, for me, more significance and as it represents perfection of rule or perfection of leadership or authority. So the number 12 represents completeness and perfection of leadership. So according to scholars and according to some Bible scholars, 12 is the product of three, which signifies the divine, and four, which signifies the earthly. And I thought that was so interesting to have at the end of this story is that the the disciples had the four that the disciples had what they had on earth and then they multiplied it, they used the multiplicity of our God with three, the divine, to get completeness, to be a model of the the perfection of leadership. And that's a really interesting thing. So, what does that mean in our life? Is so using our gifts to serve someone else or giving back to God and giving through your church is the product of what God has trusted you with on earth, multiplied by the divine, the Trinity, so we can see the perfection of our King of Kings. We can see the perfection of our God. We can see the perfection of leadership in our life. And I I don't know about you, but this world needs some leadership. This world needs perfection of authority, of rule, and I need a great leader in my life, and that is a fact alone why I want to give towards completeness. So I'm wondering what things in your life where you might need completeness. What was that area in the beginning where you thought you weren't enough, where you thought that, that the circumstances around you didn't seem like everything added up, but what here on earth do you have naturally that you need to multiply with the supernatural to get the completeness that we're all longing for? So why is it so important to serve our God and give through the local church? Because whatever you keep is all you have. And that's, that's a good life. That's, that's okay. Whatever you keep is all you have. But whatever you give, God is going to multiply